We're in a series right now. If this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, we're in a series called Jekyll and Hyde. And the whole idea behind it is that, that many of us have tensions at war inside of us. And for many of us, we, if you've ever read the story of Jekyll and Hyde, we get it wrong a lot of times. Because we, 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 we assume that the story is about two distinct personalities kind of trapped inside the body of Dr. Jekyll. There's the doctor, and then there's Hyde. But that's actually not the story. And if you go back and read it, what you actually find is Dr. Jekyll, and he has a dark side of his personality, the repressed side, the side that he doesn't let out. He's learned how to be dignified. He's learned how to play the part of the doctor. And the potion allows him to transfigure and transform himself to let out of the darkness the personality that was already there in the first place. He just didn't have any way to live that out without going and getting caught and getting put in jail and prison or dying. It's an interesting story, and it was one of the first stories that really touched on the hypocrisy that exists in, frankly, all of humanity, including, might I add, the church. Now, I've toyed with which direction to go with this, because let's be honest, when you talk about hypocrisy, it feels like a heavy message, doesn't it? That's a heavy topic. And so... Let's all agree for a second that we all struggle with aspects of hypocrisy in our personality or in just who we are, spiritually speaking. Think about it for a second. There, there are things, there are even accepted versions of hypocrisy. Your wife comes home with a new haircut and says, honey, how do you like my new hair? There are words that you have to say in this moment. You, if you are a smart husband, there are things that you have learned to say. It doesn't matter how you feel. There are things that you say with a smile on your face, with encouragement. And I love my wife's new haircut. And she's looking at me like as if I'm, as if I'm pulling from firsthand experience here. I'm not. But my point is, you've learned if you're smart, if you want to live another day, you have learned how to reach down deep and to put on a show at times, even when you may not actually feel like it. A dish that is made for you. Maybe your husband made you something. Maybe your wife made you something, and they want to know how it is. That actually isn't the time to say, oh, it needs a little more salt. <laughs> I've learned that the wrong way. When someone asks, do you like it? They're not really asking you if you really like it. They're looking for you to say, it's amazing. I love you. And I'm so appreciative for all you do for this house. There are things that you, you learn to do. Think about other things for a second. You go to work and you are dog tired. I mean, it just beat, exhausted. But guess what? You do not have the luxury of being at work. You don't get to just be tired or put your head on your desk or take a nap. you got to fight through it. Even though it's not how you feel, 
What you want to do is go to bed. And yet you need to be alert. You got to fight through it. You got to work through it. And it's, in many ways, it's a show because you feel sick, you feel tired, and all you want to do is go home. But after all, you've got a job and responsibility to that job. And so there are things that you learn to do, things that you learn to say, that in many ways we could slice up and put in the bracket of being mildly hypocritical because after all, you're saying something that you don't really mean. Think of the amount of times someone's asked you how you're doing and you've said, I'm fine. But you're not fine. The reality is, it's not the moment to truly unpack how you really feel about your life. And so you just kind of glance over it and gloss over it and you just say, I'm fine, but you don't really mean it. Is that hypocritical? Yes, a little bit. But the reality is, There are kinds of hypocrisy that we have learned to accept, and we even esteem and say that's actually a good thing. And the reality is there are moments where you're trying to protect someone's dignity, where you're trying to respect them, where you're trying to give them a kind word. And there are moments where you need to be a little bit different, guard what you are on the outside, because it may not truly be how you feel on the inside. There's a measure of that. That's okay. God has given humanity a great complexity of personality. It's a gift. It's one of the things that sets us apart as human beings from all of creation is that you and I have the ability to act, to force ourselves, to play a part at times. And there are times where you need to do that. And that is the beautiful part of creation, of humanity. And there are other times, what we call the underbelly of hypocrisy, that is really nasty. And that's what we're going to talk about here in a minute. Because we're not talking about protecting someone's dignity. When we talk about hypocrisy, 99.9% of the time, we're talking about the nasty side of it. The thing that you see playing out on the airwaves literally right now, every single day in regards to even the political campaign that's happening. If you turn, if you listen to talk radio, the amount of times you'll hear the word hypocrite or hypocrisy has to be at an all-time high right now. It must be. I tried counting it. Literally, I, was, I went to, to Publix and drove home and I was trying to count how many times I was hearing the word hypocrite or hypocrisy on talk radio. I couldn't even give up. It was just moving so fast. It was like popcorn. It's not the kind of hypocrisy that you want to esteem, to, to live towards, to, 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 to value in your life. And thankfully, even though all of us struggle at times, even as you uh, esteem to follow Jesus, there are moments in your life where things just, frankly, You're not doing quite what you say you're doing. Before going into ministry vocationally, one of the things that I was reminded as a pastor who speaks in front of people is that if you can't live 
with the reality that you cannot fully live out the very messages that you're preaching day in and day out. You should never do this job. And I want you to know that that's true, and I don't like that. Does that make me a full-blown hypocrite? No. But the reality is, in all of us, we esteem to this. We're trying to follow Jesus this way, but there are areas of our life where we're just not doing it quite well. Sometimes it's an ignorance, and sometimes it's intentional. And guess what that is? It's hypocrisy. And things get eaten up, destroyed, busted up, shipwrecked, train wrecked, you name it. When Christians who are very loud about their relationship with Jesus are living differently than what they espouse to do. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. You guys ready to do that? Yeah. Let's pray and then we're going to jump in. <clears throat> Father, be with us today. God, speak to us. God, it's a heavy subject. Jekyll and Hyde. God, we do not want to, to wake up and find ourselves distanced. Find ourselves uh, with this gap between us, Lord, that, God, that we just missed. Where what we say and what we do are miles apart. And so, Father, we ask that you'd help us, encourage us, and speak to us this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's do this. Turn to Genesis 27. It's an unusual story. It's a little bit of a longer one. I'm actually going to sit here to read it. It is one of the first stories in the Bible. If you look up uh, hypocrisy in Scripture, this is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of hypocrisy that theologians indicate in Scripture. And so we're going to point to that this morning in Genesis 27. You have the old patriarch family. It's Isaac and his two sons, Jacob and Esau, descendants of Abraham. And here we are in Genesis 27. We're going to find ourselves dealing with the root of hypocrisy. And if you were here either message before this, this one, I'm sorry, last week or the week prior, you might have learned that the word hypocrite literally is someone who acts. It's a theatrical term in the Greek. Someone who is able to put on a mask and play a part. And over time, that word has gone on to, to, to evolve into someone who's able to put on a show and be someone that they're not actually on the inside. They're playing a part. And so we see that here with Jacob and Esau. <clears throat> it says, When Isaac had become an old man and was nearly blind, he called his eldest son Esau. And he said, My son, yes, father, I'm an old man. I might die any day now, so do me a favor. Get your quiver of arrows and your bow and go out in the country and hunt me some game. Then fix me a hearty meal, the kind that you know I like, and bring it to me to eat so I can give you my personal blessing before I die. Talk about just a guy's last right. I mean, he just, here's what I'm going to do. I'm about to die. So I want you to go make me my favorite stew and I'm going to bless you, son. That's basically what we have here. <clears throat> it's amazing. 
Rebecca, and Rebecca is Isaac's wife, she was eavesdropping. As Isaac spoke to his son Esau, as soon as Esau had gone out to the country, gone off to the country to hunt game for his father, Rebecca spoke to her son Jacob. She says, I just overheard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, bring me some game, fix me a hearty meal so that I can eat and bless you with God's blessing before I die. Now listen to me, son. Do what I am telling you to do. Go to the flock. Give me two young goats. Pick the best. I'll prepare them into a hearty meal, the kind your father loves. Then you'll take it to your father. He'll eat it and he'll bless you before he dies. What's she telling him to do? She's telling him to do the very thing that he had just instructed the other son to do. Genesis 27, verse 14. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she cooked a hearty meal, the kind his father loved so much. Rebekah took the dress-up clothes of her older son Esau and put them on her younger son Jacob. She took the goat skins and covered his hands in the smooth nape of his neck. Then she placed the hearty meal she had fixed and fresh bread she had baked into the hands of her son Jacob. Woo! Here's what we got happening here. We've got Jacob and we've got Esau. Esau is the oldest son. He is supposed to get the fatherly blessing, which we may not grasp nowadays, but you've got to understand this was a big deal. And it didn't matter if it was given by mistake. If those words came out of your mouth, it was accepted as truth. The family would accept it as truth. People would relate to God as though it was truth. And so even if that blessing was given under the guise of deception, if it was given, it was given. And so Rebecca hears the news. <gasps> Isaac is saying that he's about to die and he's going to bless Esau. Esau's going to hunt that game. Isaac, my favorite son, now's your chance. And so she makes the stew the way Esau would make the stew. She cuts the throat of a couple goats and takes their fur and she puts it on Jacob's arms and on the nape of his neck so that he would look and feel and smell like Esau. By the way, you've got to be a hairy dude. If the goat, if the skin of a goat feels like your skin, you, you got some issues. You need to see a dermatologist like that. In either case, the story proceeds. And Isaac, who's nearly blind, is greeted by Jacob. Goat skin on his arms, stew, just like his brother Esau would make. And Isaac is a little bit suspicious. He says, hey, how, how did you... How'd you catch the game so quickly? And he says to him, God was with me. And he says, asks him several other questions. Are you really my son Esau? Yes. Feel, the, feel my furry arms. Smell my clothes. Do all these things. Puts him through the test and he passes the test. He's deceiving his father in order to get the blessing which was a godly blessing, might I add. 
And so you can see the hypocrisy at work. He's pretending to be someone that he's not in more ways than one. Not only is he pretending to be his older brother, but the greatest hypocrisy is that you're saying you want God's blessing and yet you're cheating and lying in order to get it. These two things don't go hand in hand. But Isaac prays. Isaac lays his hands on his son and blesses him. And he gives him the blessing. And in the story, when, when Amy and I were talking about this over dinner uh, the other night, she said something. She said, this story bothers me. It upsets me. Because it looks like Jacob, the hypocrite, deceives his dad, deceives his brother, and then gets the hookup with the blessing. But what you don't see is that this is the last time he sees his father. It's the last time he sees his mother. And he and his brother, for all the days of their life, live at odds and ends with each other. And in just a few pages of Scripture, the God who, yes, honors this blessing, also descends from heaven in the form of an angelic being. And guess what he does with Jacob? He wrestles with him. They literally have like a UFC fight. And Jacob walks out having been injured and he limps for the rest of his days. And God changes Jacob's nature in this moment. Jacob, which means deceiver, he changes his name to Israel. Now, there are a lot of things I don't want. I don't want to be separated from my mother or my father. I wouldn't want to have an estranged relationship with my brother. But you know what else I really don't want to do? I really don't want to duke it out with God. Okay? That doesn't sound like a great day. And what you and I need to understand is that when we operate as hypocrites, we never win. We never walk out on the other side unless we have a moment where God deals with our heart, which is oftentimes very, very painful. You don't walk out on the other side feeling great. You end up losing. And so the application this morning is actually very simple, church. As we talk about hypocrisy, as we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, the question that you and I have to wrestle with is what places in our life, in our lives, are you putting on something that's not really you? In other words, where are you putting on some goat skin in your life? Where are you making a pot of stew and passing it off as your own? Where is it that you're wearing a mask and you're not really living as God has asked you to live? Second Corinthians says it like this, 5.17. It says, Paul is writing, he says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 
In other words, following Jesus isn't just about information. It's about transformation. That the God of heaven and earth, when you profess to follow him, when you put your faith in him, you don't just get great spiritual information. No, God makes you into someone new. It changes you. But then that tension begins, doesn't it? Because here God's made you this person, and yet at times you find yourself trying to put on a different image to suit the people that you're around. In, in some ways, it's almost like you're ashamed that you're a Christian. You're ashamed of the new nature. Here's what I mean by it. You're at work, and everybody is going out for drinks afterwards, which if you're thinking that that's what I'm condemning, I'm not. I have no issues with somebody going and having a drink. But you and I both know there's a difference between having a drink and going out with your coworkers where things begin to happen. And that line of what's appropriate gets passed. And now you're trying to decide if I should really live out the character that I know God has put inside of me Am I the godly man or the godly woman right now? Do I say no? Do I push this away? Do I not engage in this conversation? Do I not laugh at this joke? What do I do in this moment? And more often than not, we put on the, the goat skin, we carry the pot of stew with us, and we live in a way that's contrary to the new person that God has made you to be. You do it on the college campus. You do it with your sports teams. We do it at work. We do it sometimes even in our very homes. We live contrary to who God has made us to be. It's easy to do. You guys with me this morning? Culture has accused the church of sexual atheism about that. Meaning, when it comes to following Jesus, we're willing to surrender everything to him. He exists everywhere except our sex life. And so when it comes to sex and sexuality, well, God doesn't exist in that conversation. I can do whatever I want and live however I want. Over here, I'm this person, but after, when I get turned on, when I'm around somebody that I'm attracted to, well, all bets are off, baby. And I become someone different than the person God has made me to be. I'm carrying around that pot of stew again, and now I'm putting on that goat skin one more time. That's not who God's made you. God's made you to live a life of purity and of patience, and of perseverance. Not flagrant sexuality that just, well, I don't need to go into all the details. You're, you're with me. When Amy and I were in Paris. This is a true story. Before we got to Paris, I had a dream that we were going to find a large sum of money true and I dreamed I dreamt that we took that money and then were chased around Paris by drug lords 
It was a great dream. And then, while we were at a cafe, true story, Amy found a decent-sized sum of money. It was true. She brought it back to my table, our table. She said, well, like, well, what should we do with this? And I was like, drug lords are going to find us if we keep this money. I didn't really think that. But it was well over 100 bucks, which, by the way, when you're on a trip like that, 100 bucks is 100 bucks. And it was in euros. I didn't even have to have it, you know, changed, exchanged. It's amazing. And so here we are. We're sitting in a cafe in the middle of Paris. We hardly speak French. No one knows us. And I should just put this in my wallet and say, God, thank you. Thanks for hooking me up. We sat there, and we looked at each other, and we were smiling and laughing, and I thought, I might do something different if Amy wasn't here right now. <laughs> but we got our server, and we said, we, we found this. It's over 100 euros. And he was like, well, are you going to keep it? I said, well, it's not ours. We didn't bring this. Some other, some other person who just sat here has lost over $100. This is a good chunk of money. And are probably going to be wondering where the heck they just lost 100 bucks. And there's a good chance they might even retrace their steps and they might come back here looking for it. And so here, sir, is their money. And when they come looking for it, let them know. Somebody found it and had the good graces to give it back. And the guy thought we had lost our minds. Like, are you crazy? And yes, the answer is we are a little bit crazy. God has given me a new heart and a new mind. And I have made a decision to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And that means that I do not have the luxury to pretend to be someone else just because some other people or just because I'm in a place where no one knows me, just because I'm in a place where I don't speak the language. Are you guys tracking with me? What does the scripture say? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I love myself... I would want somebody to give me my money back. You would too. And so the decision had to be made. More than just my little personal payday moment, God, I have made a decision to follow you. And even though I am not happy about turning this money in, it is the right thing to do. And I will represent you in whatever I do. Come little, come big, come small, come to the left, come to the right. Whatever decision comes my way, let me be the man or woman who honors you in the small and in the large. 
Let me not be the hypocrite who talks big over here and does something totally different over here. Love my neighbor as myself. Well, you know what? Here's your 100 euros, and I pray that you find it. Even though everybody thinks I'm nuts, and even though I really want to put it in my wallet, I'm going to do what's right. And believe that God is going to bless me because of it. Ephesians 4 says that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to do what? To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words... You are to take off the image that isn't really who you are anymore. Put down the bowl of stew. Take off the goat skins. Stop trying to pretend to be this person. God has changed you. He has made you new. Let go of that. Put it away and put on the new self. And live like God has made you to live. In other words, own it. Own who you are in Jesus Christ. Stop tiptoeing around it. Stop being ashamed to be it. Stop prancing around and dancing around. Own living for Jesus Christ and don't make any apologies about it. If God is God, which he is, and you have pledged to follow him, then don't be shy about it. Go for it. Own it. Live for him. Be bold about it. And don't make any apologies for it. Whoa. I'm going to give you some examples and then we're going to we're going to wrap it for the day. I'm not going to talk about politics this morning. Not fully. It's no surprise that this is one of the most divisive elections probably in American history. So I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. But what has God called you as a Christian to do? This isn't just you specifically as Christians, what has God deemed you and I to do and live and act in these moments? Is it to get on social media and breathe fire? Let's, let's call it like it is. There's a lot to breathe fire about. A lot. But you know what our first call to action is as Christians? It's to pray for our leaders. It's to pray for the people in office. 
And the reality is someone is going to be elected. And pretty much half of our church is going to be happy about it. And maybe half is not going to be happy about it. I'm just throwing out ratios here. I have no idea what the breakdown will be. But I guarantee someone won't be happy. And our response as Christians isn't to vent or to whine or to pitch a fit. It's to get on our knees, regardless of whether we voted for that person or not, and to pray for them. That is what you and I are charged to do. That is how you live as a Christian. And to live contrary to that, to live spitting fire, to spew forth your anger, to accuse, to gossip, to talk about things we just don't even have business talking about is to actually put back on the old self rather than living out life under the power of the new. What about areas of generosity? If we say that we follow Jesus, but yet all we are is just holding on tight to what God has given us, is that really the new self? It's not. God has invited you to forgive and forgive graciously, to give and give abundantly. He's invited you to have a concern for your brother, your sister, the salvation of those who are around you. Can we profess to be Christians who love Jesus and have no concern for the lost. To do so is to live at odds with one another. Hypocrisy. So my invitation this morning, whether it's something big in your life, whether it's something small in your life, Wherever it is, is to examine your heart right now and identify where you might be wearing a mask, so to speak. And pull it off. Put it down. And walk in the fullness of who God has made you to be. Some of you, it's your mouth. You profess to love Jesus, and you do. And yet when you get around people, you, you, your heart is that of a saint, but your mouth is that of a sailor. And at some point, you've got to reconcile these two things. Put down the stew, take off the skins, and own who God has invited you to become.